Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. As you are turning there, let me say good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. I'm glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. I want us to read, beginning in verse 7 through verse 16. Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16. Hear now the word of the true and living God. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some teaching shepherds to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let us pray. As we sing, so now we pray, Father, that you would draw us to Jesus, that we would look like Jesus, that we would grow up to the fullness, the measure, the stature of Christ. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. When a child is born, if they are not putting on weight, if they're not growing, they're not meeting certain standards, doctors may talk about a failure to thrive. That sometimes happens with very small children, a failure to thrive. They're not growing, they're not hitting certain benchmarks. Even if a child is born perfectly healthy, that child may grow up into adulthood, and for one reason or another, they fail to make a transition into adulthood, to venture out on their own and and do certain things that maybe we think socially they ought to be doing. We might say that young person, that young adult, is uh, they're experiencing failure to launch. These physical conditions. We might say they correspond to a spiritual reality as well. You see, when a person is converted, there is an expectation that while they may be a babe in Christ for a time, 
they will eventually grow up and mature in the faith. Spiritual failure to launch, though, seems to be an ever-present reality. A failure to thrive within the body of Christ. The writer of Hebrews talks about this. In Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, he writes to these Christians, he says, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Again, there is a very real stage in the Christian walk which is likened unto childhood or being a babe in Christ that is normal for a time. The expectation is the longer you're a Christian, you will grow up in the faith and become skilled and uh, mature in the faith. Paul is writing here to these Christians in Ephesians chapter 4, and he is making similar statements about growing up and maturing in the faith. But when, when Christians do not mature, when they do not grow, that is a spiritual failure to thrive. And that cannot be allowed to continue. The writer of Hebrews calls it out. You should be by this time. So apparently there's been enough time for these Christians to grow from being infants in the faith, needing milk, to maturity where they can stomach the solid food. But they're not there. Here in Ephesians 4, Paul provides us with the framework that allows and enables the church to grow as it ought. It involves grace even the grace of Christ. And it also includes a number of other aspects that are rooted in the gift, the gifts that Christ gives to His church, His body. You see, Christ does give gifts to His church, but they're given for the explicit purpose of maturing and growing the body I think one of the greatest tragedies, you know, we talked last week about commonly tolerated sins. Paul is going to address a number of commonly tolerated sins. One commonly tolerated sin that exists from time to time within the church is immaturity. And again, I'm not talking about when a person is a new convert. That I, again, I recognize and Scripture recognizes the reality of that stage where you are a babe, an infant in Christ. But again, what can happen is that stage becomes tolerated. It becomes normal for a particular Christian. And though they've been in the church for a long time, a number of years, they've not made use of the grace of Christ They've not put into practice their own spiritual giftedness, and they have remained infantile. That cannot be tolerated. It must be repented of. 
Here, Christ, He gives gifts to His church. Verse 7 talks about this. Grace was given. Grace here is different than saving grace, which was talked about back in chapter 2. Saving grace is the same for all. We're saved to the uttermost by grace through faith. This grace here is given, as Paul says, to each one of us. So there's an, an individual aspect of this given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That there are some Christians who apparently in this department, which is spiritual giftedness, as we'll see, they have more grace than other Christians. Or at least it's been meted out according to the measure that each one can put into practice and utilize for the church. What comes to mind is the parable Jesus tells of the, the parable of the talents. Talents was not you know, some kind of skill or ability. A talent was currency. It was money back in their day. And so the master gives to one servant five talents, five sacks of money, if you will. He gives to another two talents, two sacks of money. He gives to one servant one talent, one, sir, one, one sack of money. And the expectation is they're going to utilize that money and they're going to make more money. They're going to put it into practice. And so the guy with five talents puts it into practice as ten by the time the master returns. The one with two multiplies it, becomes two. The one talent man went and buried his sack of money in the dirt and then when the master came back, he dug it up and gave it back to him because I knew you were a harsh man. That servant is condemned for not putting into practice what the master had given them. In a similar way, brothers and sisters, Christ has gifted each one of us. Well, that's what the text says. Grace was given to each one of us. The commonly tolerated sin of immaturity takes that gift and buries it and does not put it into practice. And our master's settled disposition to squandering his grace and his gifts is a terrifying thing. Put it into practice. That's what Christ has given you his grace, his gift for. Specific to this context, as we'll see when we get to verse 11, it has to do with leaders in the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teaching shepherds. I take there, yours may say pastors and teachers. I think that's actually one office teaching shepherds, um, and I'll deal with that when we get there, uh, just grammatically the way it's structured. However, specific to this context, Christ has given leaders to the church, placed them there for the church to grow. But there is a larger conversation to be had about spiritual gifts generally that factors in not only the Ephesians 4 text, but you also need what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 in a couple of verses. Paul has an extended discussion about gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and also he talks about it in Romans chapter 12. You bring all of that to bear, and here's the bottom line. One of the principles that shakes out the bottom of this is every single member has a particular spiritual gift. Maybe sometimes there may be more than one gift. It's according to the measure of Christ. He is the one who gets to dictate who gets what gifts and how many and all that. Suffice to say, each Christian has a gift. You have a gift. I have a gift. 
the expectation is we will identify the spiritual gift that Christ has given us and put it into practice, utilize it for the sake of the body. What is it he says down here? In verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. So each one is a gift, and each one of us is to be properly utilizing that gift so that the whole body is built up, and we are all pursuing the mission of Christ. Each Christian, we've received this grace. We've received a spiritual gift to build up the body of Christ. By the way, that also means that every member is vital to the church. Each one, brothers, sisters, you matter. You're important to the church. This, this is an all hands on deck thing, all right? Again, Christ. When he builds his body, and that's what he's doing, by the way. When Christ builds his body, you know, sometimes what happens, um, maybe you get something from a store, a piece of furniture that, that requires you to put it together. What can sometimes happen is you end up with spare parts, right? And, and, and sometimes that's for a purpose, right? Maybe it's extra screws or extra dowels for maybe like a bookshelf or something like that. And if something were to break or something were to get lost, you have an extra part, right? Here's the thing with Christ. There are no spare parts. There's no extra pieces at the end when he's building his church. Every single part matters. Every single member of the church matters. There are no unimportant members of the church. We need one another. By design, by the way, no single member has every single spiritual gift. Now, it's true there are some who may be more gifted at evangelism. It's true we're all to be involved in evangelization of the world, right? We're supposed to be telling the good news. But there are some who are particularly gifted that Christ has given to his church to help the church do what it's supposed to be doing. But every single member matters. And no one has a monopoly on all the gifts. That is why we are dependent upon one another. You have certain gifts I don't have. But that's a good thing because you come along and you help me to develop and mature as a Christian individually so that I'm properly working in my ministry, and I come alongside you and I help you put your giftedness into practice uh, or, or where you're coming up short so we help one another and you grow and develop, develop in that particular area. That's why we need one another. And again, it's all by design. Verses 8, 9, and 10, um, there is some textual things that are going on here that, you know, if you compare what, what Paul's doing here, everybody agrees he's quoting from Psalm 68. But it's different if you compare here with what you have in your Old Testament. And there's a reason for that. And I'm just going to say briefly, if you want a deep dive into that, this past Monday evening, I did the deep dive because there's, there are people that look at this and go, oh, Paul, he misquotes the Bible. No, he doesn't. There's a reason he, he writes what he writes here. And if you're interested in that, I'd point you to that video. It's titled, Paul Misquotes the Bible? Question, question mark, exclamation point, right? And I deal with this text here in Ephesians 4 and verse 8. So if you're interested in that, there's that. Paul's point, which is what we're after this morning, he's talking about Christ, how he, when he ascended back to the Father's right hand, he led a host of captives captive. 
or your translation may say he led captivity captive. Christ is the victorious conqueror because of the cross and now because of his ascension to the Father's right hand. Because of his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, Christ is the victor over everything. But notice this. When he did that, he gave gifts to men. Paul has a little explanation here about he ascended. He also descended. And what exactly Paul has in mind there, it seems to be that he descended to the lower regions of the earth. It has to do with when Christ died and was buried, and even his soul went to the Hadean realm, the unseen realm of disembodied spirits. The total humiliation of Christ. That's his descension. But guess what? As low as the descension was, even greater is his ascension, because he says there in verse 10, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the earth. No, excuse me, all the heavens, I should say. Uh, he's uh, far above all the heavens, which is language reminiscent of chapter 1, where Christ is superior to every power, dominion, principality, all those things, the, the powers of the air, every name that can be named. Remember, we talked about Christ is greater than all of them. Well, here he is. He's far above all the heavens, talking about the superiority of Christ, that he might fill all things. He is the fountain from which all the blessings that we enjoy as Christians uh, flow. He is the, the one who fills the whole universe with his glory, and indeed, he is inheriting the nations as we speak, as the gospel goes around the world and people's hearts and minds are changed. So, because he ascended, he gave gifts. And here's what Paul is specifically after, verse 11. So he gave, the triumphant king, the conquering conqueror, gave to his church, mind you, some apostles. And the some here, again, indicates not everyone's an apostle, okay? And that's okay. That's by design. Apostles are, we generally think of like the 12, right? Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, and the rest. Apostle could also have a general meaning, like just one who is sent. In fact, when you get to like Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas is specifically called an apostle, a sent one. And so these are sent by the church into the world, which of course ultimately is being sent by Christ into the world to do a specific work in the world. And that is usually tied to uh, establishing churches, building churches, establishing leadership within those churches. But also, not only apostles, but some prophets. Typically, when we think of prophets, we think of foretellers of the future. And you do get that sometimes uh, in the New Testament. For example, Agabus is a prophet who predicts the coming famine in the land. Uh, and also the prophet who predicts that Paul will be taken prisoner when he goes to Jerusalem. But it's not just foretelling of the future. Prophets also have the obligation of forthtelling the Word of God, speaking forth the Word of God. Uh, and, and certainly, uh, that's a, at least again in that sense, that this uh, office can still exist in the church today in that capacity, where the Word of God is taken and expounded, kind of like what we're doing right now, okay? Then there are evangelists, good news tellers. Christ gave some evangelists to his church. It's true, as I mentioned, all Christians are to be involved in evangelism at one level or another, of sharing the gospel with others. 
We're told in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4 that when the church is exploded out of Jerusalem, it went everywhere, the church went everywhere, preaching the gospel. But there are some who are especially gifted for this and are placed within the church to help build us up in being equipped and pursuing works of ministry and those sorts of things, as we'll see. And then some, again, pastors and teachers. Uh, pastors, by the way, uh, that comes to us via the New International Version. This is the only place where this term is translated to pastor, even though it shows up elsewhere. This is why I prefer the term teaching shepherd, because uh, shepherd, uh, that's what the word means. Uh, it points to the office, say, of like uh, an elder that we have in our congregation. They are shepherds in that capacity. But here are teaching shepherds, and I do believe they're connected because of the way Paul has written this. Um, and you even see it in English. Uh, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And I believe the word there, and, is, is kind of serving as um, a, a hyphen. And the, this is a single office describing some teaching shepherds. And these are those who are given to the church to feed the church with the, with the word, to bind up uh, those who are broken with the word. They are given to uh, heal broken souls as well through the word. That's the teaching aspect of this. Everything comes back to the word. When the apostles go out, when the evangelists go out, when the prophets are prophesying, when the teaching shepherds are teaching and shepherding, everything is tied back to the word. They're not getting and receiving the kind of this new revelation, but rather they are pointing back to what has been revealed. Uh, this is connected also to, you know, verse 15, we are speaking the truth in love. Where, where do you get truth but from what God has revealed? Um, there's those uh, people that are tossed by every wind of doctrine. Well, what's going to settle the, the storm-tossed soul? What's going to counter every wind of doctrine? the solid doctrine that comes from what God has revealed. Again, everything is tied back to the Word and the teaching of God's Word in the church. That's how the church is, well, verse 12, equipped. By the way, let me just say this before we move on to verse 12. Verse 11 is by no means exhaustive. That's why I said you also need what Paul writes in Romans 12, chapter 12, beginning about verse 3 and following. What, do you, what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as an extended conversation about giftedness that actually runs over into chapter 13 and into chapter 14. Why you need also 1 Peter chapter 4, and there's a couple verses there about serving and speaking role, uh, uh, gifts that are given to the church for the purpose of glorifying God in the world. So this is by no means exhaustive. Right? If you're looking here and going, well, I'm not any of these, so I guess I got overlooked. No, you need to look at these other contexts as well for a full-orbed view of giftedness in the church. Paul provides us here these um, certain offices to say, yes, Christ has qualified certain Christians within the body and then gives them to the church, verse 12, to equip the saints. This is the first phrase that expresses the great purpose for which Christ has gifted His church, why He gives gifts in the first place. And then the, the following two phrases, for the work of ministry and for the building up of, of the body, I believe these are uh, describing the work 
that the church, the equipped church, engages in. Works of ministry and then also uh, building up edification of the body. So, first, to equip. Again, the, the first main purpose here. What does it mean for the saints to be equipped? This term that Paul uses here is the only time that it's used in the New Testament. However, the verb for this word is used elsewhere. And one interesting place that it's used is, remember in the Gospels when the, the disciples, it's very early on in Jesus' ministry, they've been out fishing all night, and then they come ashore, they haven't caught anything, and they're mending their nets on the shore. And then, you know, Jesus says, you know, let's launch out, and he's going to teach and all that. Mending the nets, the word there for mending is the verb for this word here, for equip. Hmm. You see, Christ gives these gifts to his church in order to mend, to restore to a former form the saints. You think about it, saints, we, Christians have come out of the world, but we come out from a broken world ourselves broken. And we need mending. We need restoration. Another context in which this uh, word has, uh, can be found is in a medical context, like when like a bone gets broken and the, and the doctors have to reset the bone. It's the idea of putting back to right what was broken. And so Christ gives these gifts in order to set to rights the saints, to restore us uh, within the church so that we can be about uh, the work that Christ has put us forth in the world to do. In other words, it's in the church that we find healing, we find restoration, that we find wholeness so that we can function in a manner that honors God. And Christ specifically utilizes these gifts to do that. Again, we come out of the world broken, uh, our lives may be in despair, but now in Christ and in the church, we can find wholeness. And it's the, the work of apostles, prophets, evangelists, teaching shepherds that help to equip us. Without this work, well, we, we will fail to function. There will be a failure to thrive. Uh, which, again, all the more why we need to be equipped with the gifts that Christ has given us. But then also, now that, now that we've been mended, restored, set to rights, it's for the purpose of the work of ministry. You see, that's the aim, is that we would be about the work of ministry. It's work. It, it's going to require zeal and effort on our part. Uh, some, some sweat, some toil, some tears, some, some blood perhaps even, yes? Uh, the work of ministry. Ministry here... We actually get our English word deacon from this, diakonos. Uh, that's, again, a description generally of ministry. And so every member of the body is equipped, restored for this work of ministry. You know, we have a 
So here's just a little plug for an upcoming very important work of ministry where we'll be serving the surrounding community around us. I'm talking about, of course, our Treatacular event. Not only do we need candy, we need volunteers for that. All right? I'm persuaded we, we have some of the best volunteers on the planet here. And so, that was a good place to say amen, by the way. You know, just a little, okay. It's okay, take the attaboy, all right? Take the compliment. But here's the thing, if, if you can help us come October 31st, it, there's a variety of work to be done. We have those sign-up sheets in the foyer, okay? Um, talk with me, talk with Buddy, how best you can get plugged in, and we'll, we'll plug you in for a work of ministry. Again, we're going to serve our surrounding community by not just handing out candy. As I've said before, I'll continue to say, it's not about the candy. It's about Christ and connecting our community around us to Christ. Last year, we were able to leverage that event to pray with over 50 families. What, a, what an awesome work of ministry. We passed out a, a number of pieces of literature for those who are battling depression and uh, mental health issues and things like that. We handed out hundreds of New Testaments, both in English and in Spanish. Again, there's a lot of ministry that, be, that can be done, and we leverage that event for that purpose. But we need the volunteers to do that. All right? And so the equipping that we do here, it's not just for you to come and hear, man, good sermon again this week, preacher, by the way. Not opposed to you saying that, okay? Don't, don't misunderstand. I, I'll take the compliment, too, for myself, okay? But we come together not just to hear a sermon. You come to be equipped for the work of ministry. That, that's part of the growth and the maturation process as well. The whole body, the entire church, ought to be engaged in spiritual service at some level, whether it's streetacular or maybe it's the Thursday uh, showers of love ministry that we do for the homeless population in the area, or the food pantry that we do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, from 10, 1030 to 11, and then from 130 to 2 o'clock. These are all ministries that are available to you throughout the week. Or maybe it's, maybe it's not something that we, you know, officially, you know, part of the, under the Davis Park Church Christ banner that we do on a regular basis. Maybe it is, you know, impacting the community by sharing the gospel with neighbors and friends, or maybe your thing is passing out tracts, or uh, maybe it's uh, going and visiting those who need comfort in time of sickness or bereavement or something like that. Again, there's the formal, formal level of ministry, and then there's the informal stuff that I know sometimes gets overlooked. But I know it goes on. You know, I hear about it uh, through various avenues, things like that. That's awesome. Whatever task Christ has put before you, What we do here Sunday mornings, Wednesday evenings, the teaching ministry of the church is designed to help equip you for that and for building up the body of Christ. Here's edification. It's very interesting. Building, that was a, an architectural term. And, of course, body, that's, that's an organic term, right? We know about a body, but a building, that architecture. Paul, again, he does this often. He smashes together the ideas uh, and has no problem doing that. And so the body is built up. But there are a few levels at which the body is built. There is the, the quantitative aspect, 
qualitative aspect, and then there's structural growth. What do I mean by that? First, quantitative growth. This is probably the growth that we're most familiar with. This is numeric increase. As people come into the church, people are added to our number. That is quantitative growth. That takes place, again, through our evangelistic efforts in the church. This kind of growth is the fulfillment of the first half of the Great Commission. Go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the quantitative growth, probably the growth that we're most familiar with, but it's not the only kind of growth. You see, there's also, as I mentioned, qualitative growth. What do I mean by qualitative? This is, again, moving those new converts toward full spiritual maturity. This is the the fulfillment of the second half of the Great Commission. And teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. That's the quality of the disciple. I'm going to say it now before I forget. There's a chance I could forget. Let me ask this. What What is the goal, what is the purpose of the Christian life? You hear that question, and, and maybe you think, well, I mean, it's ultimately go to heaven. True, yes. But specifically, the Christian life, what is the goal of from when you are baptized to when you die? What's the goal? What's the purpose there? Right? The purpose, it's found right here in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to to the perfect man, literally is what is being said there, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The purpose, the goal of the Christian life is to look like, to be like, to be conformed to the image of Christ. That, listen, if the, if, the, if the goal was simply go to heaven and be with God, then what would have happened at the baptistry? You're baptized and you die, right? But guess what happens? When you're baptized, you come out of the water, you still got a life to live. And the goal, the intention, the purpose of God is so that you look like Jesus and you become like Him more and more. This is the process of sanctification. This is qualitative growth, where you are moved along toward maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Quantitative, qualitative, structural is the final. And this is what Paul talks about here in verse 16, where the whole body joined together, held together by every joint with which it's equipped. There's there's that structural growth where we're building up the membership into a well-ordered cohesive, functioning body. Each part is working properly. Each member is brought into this bonded union with the church and comes to use each one's particular giftedness for the purpose of helping one another look like Jesus and to glorify God in the here and the now. Again, so much more here. We'll have to pick this up next time because our time 
has very quickly slipped away. But I want you to see here, again, the, the glorious purpose that Christ has gifted each one of us and why He's gifted certain leaders and given them to His church is so that we would help one another mature in the faith and grow to look like and be like Jesus. Babies are not supposed to be babies forever. Again, if they do, it's not a good thing. Doctors start getting concerned. Parents start getting concerned. And so, just as babies are not intended to be babies forever, in Christ, babes in Christ, the intention is that they grow and mature into the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. And don't worry, we're going to unpack all that next week, okay? Uh, but um, we're members of the church who are equipped and continually edified attain to mature manhood. That is to the perfection of Christ. Does that mean that there's no room for improvement? Not at all. It means you're no longer an infant. You're no longer a, as Paul says here, a child tossed to and fro by waves of doctrine. Not a good place to be. All unstable and shaky and confused. But you fill up what is lacking and you attain to the measure of the stature that belongs to Christ. So this is, again, why immaturity cannot be tolerated. Uh, it is it's a reality for a time, but there comes a time when each Christian needs to grow up and mature and develop as a fully functioning member of the body. Let's commit this to prayer. Father God, I pray for each one of us that my brothers and sisters who have not yet identified their gift, that you would grant them illumination and clarity of vision to see the gift that Christ has given to each one of them. And to those of us who have identified our gift, that we would press it into service for your glory and for the benefit of the church. That we would allow you through the church to set to rights each member, each saint. And then we would be busy then with the work of ministry and building up your church right here on earth. We pray all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen.